Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. And welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay. And if you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore. And you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Now, before I get going here, I want to just thank you as our listeners for all your likes, your clicks, your shares, your loyalty has been spectacular. And it's really helped us push out basically the world's information and conversations at all different levels that we have here on Alzheimer Speaks Radio. So again, I just want you to know how much I appreciate your loyalty and your kindness towards us and being part of our community because I really truly believe that collaboration and community is the way that we are going to get rid of dementia the way we see it today. And we're going to build a much better life for everyone who is touched by it. I also want to give a shout out to Music First and Coral Faith. They are offering a COVID special right now where it's free and you can download Music First and Coral Health. Just go to coralhealth.com forward slash COVID-19. And um, we'll be talking actually with the Memory Cafe Directory uh, founder, So let's get to our panelists. I'm going to have each of them introduce themselves. Well, I'm excited to have our guests introduce themselves to you today. I just think they can do a much better job than I can. So Lisa, you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, um, saying your full name and your company, and just give us a little taste of what you do, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper later. Okay. My name is Lisa Tybersky. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at the George G. Glenner Alzheimer's Family Centers in San Diego. Uh, we run three specialized adult day centers specifically for people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. We run support groups, memory cafes, uh, professional education program, um, and a, a brand new telehealth uh, virtual dementia care program that I'll tell you a little bit about about later. Wonderful. Thank you. And Maria, how about you? My name is Maria O'Reilly. I'm, I'm an academic. I work in um, Bundaberg in Australia, um, and um, I've worked clinically and in the research field with dementia for many years. Um, and at the moment, I, I have an interest in people with dementia in the community, but I've also worked in residential care. Wonderful. Thank you. And Dave, how about you? My name is Dave Weedrick, and uh, I operate the Memory Cafe directory, which is a global directory of memory cafes uh, around the world. Dave, since I have you um, live with us, um, why don't you go ahead and talk about 
how, how you've had to adjust, if at all, with the Memory Cafe directory and what you're hearing from the general public. Yeah, there, there's been quite a, quite a bit of change uh, on Memory Cafe directory. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, we had been growing dramatically. There's about 900 listings uh, in now five countries, if you, if you count a, a fresh Brazilian one uh, in, uh, in the virtual side. But uh, what's happened is people are, are basically not meeting in person and, and everything just ground to a halt. Uh, when I noticed that that was really the case, what, what value are our memory cafes if you can't attend, uh, there was starting to be uh, some, some movement toward putting those online. The Zoom platform is, is certainly the most popular. It's the easiest to use and uh, really good quality. So I created a section on the, on the directory called Cafe Connect. And what that is, is a listing of the virtual memory cafes. If you think about the differences between a traditional memory cafe, it's, it's geography based. It, it takes place in a state, in a city. And so that's how the, the memory, memorycafedirectory.com is, is uh, organized. Well, when that changed, virtual memory cafes there, there isn't the geographic boundaries. So the Cafe Connect page is, uh, there's close to 30 on there now, and I've got a few more to add, but it's getting a little uh, cumbersome in that uh, many are every Monday, second Tuesday, second and third Wednesday, and it's starting to be quite a juggling match. So a little, uh, a little preview, uh, starting June 1st, I'm working on this now behind the scenes, but starting June 1st, there will be more of a traditional calendar uh, view for all of these so that you can see a month at a glance, a week at a glance, or even the day, the schedule for the day. And that will be uh, live June 1st and uh, much easier to accommodate, a, fortunately, a growing population of uh, virtual memory cafes. I love that idea of having a calendar um, because it is scrolling down. It is confusing mm -hmm. trying to note and for people just to be able to look. Cause I know for our memory cafe, you know, we're virtual, but we really, I think I've only had one person pop in to, mm -hmm. to come and visit. And, and I think part of it is it's, there's just a lot to take in. So I think the calendar setting will, will help with that. Mm -hmm. um, and the, so. yeah, the, the long listing, well, long listing, the, the, the list of, of uh, uh, entries on a page was fine when there was six or eight or 10. And now there's well over 25 and close to 30 it's getting a little onerous. Uh, so that, that will be a much easier way to, for people to find it. And I'm encouraged for the future because uh, quickly that page became the most often visited page on the entire website, even more than the homepage. So people are searching for virtual memory cafes, they're finding Cafe Connect, and uh, they're, they're starting to get engaged. Uh, uh, hopefully that'll continue to grow. Oh, that's fantastic. I know for so many people, because I do a lot of these uh, Zoom sessions, they're, they're very nervous about, can I do this? Mm -hmm. And then once they're stepped through, they're like, oh my gosh, I mean, it just opens up this whole other world for right. them to be involved in. And, and, you know, building that confidence with computers is huge. I mean, I remember being fearful of you know, if I push a button, I'm going to lose something. And, and now I'm like, ah, it's backed up. Yeah. It's there somewhere. I can search for it, you know. And I mean, it, you just you, you just get more used to, uh, used to how they operate and not having to be as scared. And I think that 
that in itself is huge. And then once people access that, they realize, wow, I can do this with the book club or my prayer club mm -hmm. or my high school friends or, you know, my, my peeps down the hall, if I'm in a community living situation, whatever it might be, my family, my grandkids. And it's, it's just, uh, it's really blossomed. And, and I can see and I hear from people and I don't know if, if you hear this as well, but I mean, there just is this sigh of relief and like, thank God, <laughs> this is, this is available to us. Um, yeah. It, it really is something that I think will, uh, you know, this virtual nature of the memory cafes that we're somewhat forced to deal with now, but I, I think this will live on for a different reason as, as we go forward. Uh, I hope we can start to meet in, in person. Uh, I heard a stat the other day that uh, every state, all 50 states are in some form of reopening. Uh, some are, of course, more loose than others, but at least that process has started, and I hope it, it takes place in a very safe way. So at some point, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to get back to the, the regular 900 memory cafes that are listed and keep those growing. But if you think about something that, uh, that really isn't part of a lot of this discussion, and that's just the overall isolation of seniors, and especially our, our dementia community, uh, there, while 900 is great for the number of listings, not everyone in the country or the world can just drive 10 minutes and be at a comfortable location to enjoy a memory cafe. So this, this social isolation that's, that actually was in place before COVID, and it's becoming a little more prevalent now, uh, I think this will help people connect uh, even more in the future, because if you don't have a memory cafe nearby, you might have a computer nearby that runs Zoom, and you can enjoy the company of, of people that are not nearby. Uh, my, my favorite story was some feedback I got from uh, uh, a memory cafe in uh, Massachusetts, you, you know, Beth Salzberg. Uh, one of her participants speaks Portuguese and was connected to the new Brazilian uh, memory cafe on Zoom. And so she enjoyed a Portuguese conversation where normally it's a little difficult for her to enjoy that. So here she went from Massachusetts to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and was able to connect using Zoom. So it's, it's something that I think will uh, continue, uh, hopefully long after our, our COVID challenges are behind us. Oh, I agree. I, I, I see this sticking with us. And a lot of people are saying that they feel now that they're going virtual, even for conferences and, and educational programs, that they're reaching more people than mm -hmm. what they were prior. And their costs are a lot less, you right. know, because they don't, you know, they're not farting with the hotel and the food and, you know, blocking off rooms and um, just, there, I mean, there's so many levels to, to pulling some of that stuff off. And yet others are saying, well, we still, we still want to do swag bags and we're, we're sending that out just as a reminder for people that, you know, this event is taking place. So everything is really changing. I think the creativity is going to be absolutely wonderful. Um, and it's going to, it's, it, it'll be interesting when we measure out um, the support and the services um, serving people with dementia and how it impacts some other things that maybe we do less of mm -hmm. in terms of travel and, and airports and hotels and things like that for, for some of the things that take place. Um, I know in Minnesota here, we're up now to, we can meet and gather in groups of 10. 
but I don't think our group is ready to get back together. I think they kind of want to wait because, you know, we've got a lot of people in vulnerable situations. Let's wait and see if it's going to spike. Let's not be one of those that spikes, you know, themselves personally. So kind of um, taking that wait and see approach. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone will be a little bit a little bit different on that. Um, Dave, I think I forgot to ask you first off if you've been personally touched by dementia or or by COVID. Well, fortunately, not by COVID nineteen. That's uh, that that's we're very grateful on that. But uh, I do have a, a a very dear friend who has a mother who, uh, through the support of the family, is is fighting hard to stay independent, and uh, so far so good with her. But I did lose a, a an older cousin, more like an aunt, uh, last year uh, to dementia. So um, tough. Uh, tough situation. Yeah, yeah, people are really, really struggling these days. Lisa, I'm going to go to you next and um, would just first like to ask you um, if you've been personally touched by dementia and or COVID. Luckily, COVID, no. Um, and locally, we haven't had a lot of cases here in the town that I live in. Alzheimer's, yes, unfortunately, very, very much so. Uh, my mother had Alzheimer's and her sister as well. Um, her sister got it first. She was younger. She was diagnosed at age 55 and she had it for about 10 years, died at 65. And she had every ugly symptom. Let's put it that way. Um, she had a really, really tough time. Um, my mother, uh, my mother passed away at age 71. So she had it in her sixties. Um, and it was, yeah, wasn't, wasn't, um, it wasn't good. Uh, luckily she, she was always very sweet her whole entire life, and she stayed sweet. Um, a lot of people's you know, behavior changes, of course, and um, my aunt, her behavior did change, and she got combative and um, had all of those issues. It was, it was really tough on my uncle and, and my mom because my mom was still aware enough to understand that she had it or aware enough to know that her sister had it, and so we didn't want to tell her that we thought she was having it. It was, just, it was a really, really tough time. And that's actually why I work at the Leonard Centers. I was um, a stay-at-home mom at the time when my mom had Alzheimer's. And when I wanted to go back to work when the kids got older, I thought I, I want to do something in this field. I didn't really know what. I just wanted to, whether it be volunteer or, or a paid job, whatever, I just wanted to get into the space because I just saw how hard it was. I, we didn't know that before. I mean, we were the typical, typical, I think, family caregiver. That's just, you don't have those you don't have those caregiving skills, right? Why, why would you if you've never been through it before? So gosh, if, if only I knew then what I know now, you know, but um, anyway, so yes, in a long-winded uh, answer to your question, we were very, very much touched by it. And now, of course, um, you know, I have many friends whose parents have it and uh, or spouses and are always, you know, turning to me or to my organization uh, for help. But COVID, why don't you tell us, uh, dive a little bit deeper into the Glenner organization and what you provide and, you know, how it's changed since, since the pandemic? So, yeah, I should, I'll give you a little a background. Um, we are a nonprofit organization uh, founded here in San Diego, as I said earlier. Um, and I, I just, I do want to sort of point out why we were founded in the first place, because it's, it speaks to what a lot of family caregivers are going through. Um, so we were founded by Dr. George Glenner and his wife, Joy Glenner. Um, Dr. Glenner was a physician and researcher at the University of uh, California in San Diego. And he was focused on Alzheimer's research, but he was also a treating, a treating physician. So one night, or treating patients, um, I should say. And uh, one night in the middle of the night, he and his wife received a phone call from the husband of one of his Alzheimer's patients. And 
the man had a loaded gun and he, his solution to the stress that he was going through was to murder his wife and commit suicide. I mean, he was, he was at his wit's end, obviously. Um, so the Glenners were able to get the call traced. They were able to stop that murder suicide from happening. But um, the next day they said, we've got to do something for these families now. We've got to, um, you know, focus on research, of course, it's vital, but these caregivers are struggling right now. So they opened up our very first center. Um, it's a little cottage. We still have it today. Um, it's just in a little, little house, kind of just outside of downtown San Diego. It's uh, only licensed for 24 people. Um, and since then, that was in 1982. And since then, we've grown to three centers. So now we have three, three nonprofit adult day centers uh, specifically for people with dementia. Um, and about two years ago, we uh, created uh, a new center called, we call it Town Square. It's the same. It's an adult day center for people with dementia, but it, um, it focuses all on reminiscence therapy. So we rented out a big warehouse building in Chula Vista, California, and we built out the inside to replicate, uh, replicate or resemble, I should say, a small 1950s town. And the whole idea with that is to facilitate reminiscing. So you come in, there's a 1950s diner with turqu uh, turquoise booths. There's an old fashioned pub and a barber shop. And um, so all the activities are, you know, take place in all of these storefronts, as we call them. They're really activity rooms. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. We play old music and have, um, you know, entertainers come in, play old songs, uh, um, old games. We have old checkers and puzzles and just, it, it's great. Uh, pictures of the presidents from the time, you know, on, on the wall. So um, it's, it's a lot of fun. So that's actually the future of the Glenner Center as far as our daycare centers. We want to replace our other two with town square, uh, similar, similar day centers. Um, we also franchised it. We, we partnered with a for-profit agency that's franchising the concept across the country. So you'll soon see other town square day centers pop up um, all over the country. Um, so we also, in addition to our day centers, which is our, our core business, uh, we do caregiver support groups for uh, specifically for caregivers of loved ones with dementia. Uh, we do have memory cafes, actually. We run a few memory cafes here. Uh, we've got um, a professional education program, so for professional caregivers of people with dementia. And then our uh, newest program is a telehealth virtual remote, uh, whatever word you want to, buzzword you want to use. It's a remote dementia care program. We're calling it Glenner Care. And ironically, we started working on this about a year ago uh, because we had so many families asking us for help and assistance outside of our operating hours. And they, they need resources. They need advice. They need somebody to call. Um, so we developed, started developing the program a year ago for a spring 2020 launch, having absolutely no idea that we would be in a situation where telehealth was going to be the new, you know, the new thing. So we just released it in April. Um, and again, it's a remote dementia care service where people enroll. It's not a hotline. You enroll, you become a member. We get to know you, your situation, your background, your um, uh, how your disease is progressing. Um, and then anything happens at home. You can't get your loved one in the shower. Um, you need help with toileting. Um, they're, they're wanting to leave. Any behaviors, they just call in, constantly can call in as many times as they need uh, for, for advice, recommendations, uh, support. If we need to get their doctor on the phone, we can do that. We can do a video call with their physician. Um, and the whole idea is really to help people with the day-to-day, in-and-out things that just happen all the time when they're at home. 
and things that you don't normally go to the doctor for, right? You're not, if you can't get someone in the shower, you're not necessarily going to go to the doctor for that, right? But you still need help. Um, and, and if there is a situation that you might go to the doctor or emergency room or urgent care or hospital, you know, especially now people are trying to avoid that. So we're trying to help them with the day-to-day, day-to-day challenges that they have and avoid hospitalizations. Um, and then the other component that's really key is we have them take their blood pressure every day. They enter their blood pressure and we can flag a crisis before it happens. So we'll monitor, we'll, we'll know their normal baseline blood pressure, but we can see if there's a dip or a spike and we can say, hey, we might want to, you know, we might want to get your doctor on the phone, something's going on here. Um, so that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, we have been significantly affected by COVID with our day centers. Uh, we are an essential service as an adult day healthcare center, but, and we stayed open uh, for as long as we thought was, was reasonable. But in the beginning of April, we decided to suspend services at all of our centers. Uh, we did have a few cases with staff and participants. And um, so we suspended services in, in April. So really Glenner Care is pretty much our core, our core business now. Um, so yeah, things have, things have changed, changed quite a bit. Yeah. I know here in Minnesota, most daycares aren't operating mm-hmm. and you know, we're seeing a spike in the need for a family for services, just like you're talking. And so it's ironic that you had that in the pipeline. Um, it's crazy. I mean, it's really, you know, I, I think some people think we started it because of the need that's out there now. And, um, we, we really had, had launched it, um, or started working on it a year ago. And I like to let people know that because that means we've been working on the infrastructure and the, the, you know, the whole entire program for about a year. It's not something we just slapped together because of COVID. It just, the timing is just weirdly, weirdly um, ideal. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, our people that are, that were attending our day centers, now they're finding themselves, I mean, they're home 24 seven, having to do all of the caregiving. They don't have that respite. Um, and, and we're finding they're getting injured too. They're trying to lift more often, you know, lift, help in the bathroom or, you know, do things that they normally didn't do. And so that's, that's, um, it's, it's really been tough on our caregivers, really tough on our caregivers. Now with this, uh, with this Glenner Care, you said that's a membership. Do you have to be, mm-hmm. um, in San Diego or can anybody join in on that? Cause it sounds like it's, can be kind of a coaching and support and, um, you know, resource, a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, it's nationwide. It's, it's anywhere, really. I mean, um, certainly we know the resources here in San Diego the best, and most of our members so far are here. Um, actually, we have one in Florida that's about, about to enroll. Um, but no, it's nationwide because it's virtual. We can help anybody uh, anywhere, really. Yeah, well, and sometimes you just need the the main names to tell them to seek out in their own mm-hmm. area and people mm-hmm. don't even know those organizations exist, you know? Or well, and the main names, but even, um, you know, like trying to get somebody in the shower or trying to get, you know, uh, help somebody with eat, eating, you know, that's, that's, doesn't have anything to do with your geographical location. So we can certainly help. Um, like, you know, the way you set a table can help somebody to eat, you know, the color of the dishes and the contrast and all those things. I mean, most people don't know that stuff. Yeah. So just something as simple can make mealtime so much easier if you just knew it. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's wonderful. What kind of feedback are you getting from, from both families and staff with these changes? Uh, For, well, for us, for our families, I mean, our families, of course, um, are desperately waiting for us to open. I mean, 
we had some people even towards before we closed, they said, you know, you guys are doing social distancing. This is great. I trust you that the benefits of my husband attending the center outweigh the risk of him potentially getting COVID. I mean, that's how much they, they need this. And they, I mean, we get calls all the time. When are you opening? When are you opening? When are you opening? Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's been tough. We're offering uh, Glenner care for free to all of our families right now. I should back up. It is covered by Medicare Part B, which is awesome. Uh, for those people that are not enrolled in Medicare Part B, we're picking up the cost for our families, our enrolled families right now as a um, you know, show of support while, we're, while we are, have suspended services. Um, but yeah, we're, our families can't wait for us to open back up. Yeah, uh, like you said, it, it, the repercussion of it is so huge. Um, I know I've heard from people around the country thinking, you know, people who are living in a community, they, they're going to pull them out. And mm -hmm. it's like you, there was a placement for a reason, people, and mm -hmm. those things haven't gone away. And most likely the disease has progressed. It hasn't lightened up. And mm -hmm. your level of stress has already increased just being in this mode. And people say, well, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just hire someone. I'm like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, everybody's having a tough time hiring people right now too. So um, it's, it's just a very interesting time and not that you, I mean, I think people just have to look at big picture and be realistic because there would be nothing worse than pulling somebody out of a community and at home. And then if something did happen, I think most people would have a really hard time not feeling guilty over that situation yeah. and just even analyzing, okay, how am I going to get groceries? Now, do I have to bring them with me? Am I, you know, what's the situation on all these things? And there's just so many details, but I, mm -hmm. I do think that society at large is, is um, getting a little eye-opening in terms of what services are really doing for mm -hmm. people and and what a difference they're making in not only their physical lives but mental health wise as well um, yeah um the other thing is when we do open up and just from a business perspective um we're trying to figure out how to do that safely right so now as an organization we need to put some funding into uh plexiglass at the receptionist um we're going to be taking people's temperatures, the, the markings on the floor, you know, all of those things now that we have to do. And, and we've decided that when we do resume services, we're likely going to only um, open up at 25% capacity uh, to maintain social distancing. Now at our town square center, that's a lot bigger. That means a bigger number. But for example, the first center I told, told you about, that's only licensed for 24 people. I mean, that means we can only have like seven, seven people. Um, so from a business perspective and as a, you know, smaller nonprofit. I mean, that's, that puts us really in a, in a tough spot, um, you know, as an organization, but we want to do it safely, of course, for, for everybody. But um, yeah, that's, that's been, that's been an issue. And then we're trying to decide, do we have people um, sign a COVID waiver when they come back? I mean, maybe a lot of organizations are going to be doing that. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we've really had to, had to switch, switch mindset here. Yeah, it's, it's another liability. And the last thing you want is a lawsuit on top of all of this when mm -hmm. you're doing the best you can do. Um, yeah. If you open up at 25%, are you looking at the same people every day? Or are you looking at rotating those numbers too? Because I can see families going, what about me? You know, mm -hmm. and because not everybody goes every day. 
Um, but then there's that safety of, okay, now we, we have more things going on within a physical structure. And that makes a difference too. Well, and that's, that's another thing. That's a good point. We're trying to figure out scheduling, right? Because we do have some people that come five days a week, uh, especially the people that come through uh, PACE. We are, um, we're contracted with a couple PACE programs here. Um, they're program, all-inclusive programs for the elderly. Um, we're an alternative care site for them. And so we have a lot of people that come every day. And you're right, it's not fair to someone who wants to come. Like, what about my one day? I can't come my one day or my two days now, or how's that going to work? So maybe the five-day-a-week people have to go down to two days so that we can be fair and at least, at least give everybody a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be quite a scheduling uh, challenge, <laughs> for that. And to be fair. And you know, I'm sure people are going to be maybe mad that they can't get a spot. You know, I, I, I don't know. That's all the stuff we're trying to figure out. And then we'll slowly, um, maybe once every two, three weeks, a month, I don't know, maybe go up to 35% capacity, 45% capacity. We're just going to have to monitor it like crazy and see how it goes. You know, any possibility of doing anything virtual with the group or, um, is there progressive level? That's just not going to work. I'm just thinking with reminiscing and things like that. Um, yeah, that is, um, that's, yeah, we have thought of that. We're, we're putting that together. Um, I have our director of education and then our, um, the director of the, the programming and activities going to put something together and film it or, or do a zoom call live. I don't know if it'd be filmed or live on a zoom call doing activities in town square, right. And just to kind of show what we do. I mean, it's not the same, but uh, just to give caregivers at home activities, reminiscence therapy activities to do. So yeah, that, that's in the works too. Same with virtual support groups. We have uh, one or two of our groups are already doing virtual support groups, um, which like you were saying earlier, I, I mean, I think some of that's going to stick. And because, you know, we have some people that can't come to support groups anyways, because they can't leave their loved one at home. Right. So actually we will offer free respite for people like that. If they want to come to the support group, we'll, we'll watch their loved one for free for the couple of hours. Uh, but some, some people don't take advantage of that and then they can't come because they can't leave their loved one at home. But now with zoom, they can do that. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, it's, uh, it's, it's like <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> and then you're trying to be profitable. And I'm thinking Dave of you, even with your memory joggers, and stuff. I don't know if you want to explain those because that might be something both Lisa and Maria could tap into. I'd be happy to. Thanks. Uh, memory joggers is a, a free activity that I make available through Memory Cafe directory, and uh, it's it's based on science. I did some research and found that when we, I think part of the reason we like trivia so much, uh, when we recall something from longer term memory. Uh, and obviously it comes back to us and, and we have it in, you know, in short-term memory. Every time that recall takes place, it strengthens that connection to that memory. And uh, uh, so it, what struck me was that we all have these, these uh, sayings, these idioms that we all grew up with, uh, you know, coming out smelling like a rose or, uh, you know, a day late, a dollar short. So uh, what I did was start to put these together in uh, just 20 at a time in a, in a PDF. And I think I'm up to 13 volumes now. So there's 240 or 60 or whatever the number is. Uh, just simple, simple little phrases. And uh, I've, I've heard people use them both at home 
uh, just to engage and have some fun. Uh, certainly in the memory cafe environment, it's interesting to, to hear how, how they're used in different ways. Some are, depending on the, on the group uh, and the makeup of the group, sometimes it's a, it's a calm, kind of quiet, uh, start the phrase, and then just wait for people to respond. In other cases, it's a lot of fun. They, they make it a competition, and they'll, they'll start reading the phrase, and the first person that shouts it out you know, wins. And it gets pretty raucous, but it all depends. You can use it any way you like. So it's been fun to get the feedback on how people are using those. And, and uh, I've got plenty in the pipeline. I'm just going to keep publishing them as I have some time to pull them together and make sure I'm not duplicating and doing all that. But uh, uh, if you'd like to go to the Memory Joggers page on Memory Cafe directory, they're just PDFs. You can print them, download them, whatever you like to do, and have some fun with them. Wonderful. Thank you. Lisa, was there anything else that you wanted to, to add on what you're doing and, and um, how you're doing it? No, I mean, I think for your, for your listeners, um, you know, certainly listeners that are not in San Diego, our, our daycare centers aren't going to um, be helpful, uh, but to keep an eye out for other town squares across the country, because there's uh, about 13 or so franchises that will be opening. Um, but for Glenner Care, um, I mean, this is a real, it's a real great opportunity at an extremely reasonable cost and or free if they're in Medicare um, to just to have a, a, a care partner just at their side 24 seven. I mean, they can just call any time, like about a behavior, about a, um, any issue at any time they can call into our team. And I just, I think that will help peace of mind for people, uh, you know, stuck at home. And even when things do open up, um, just to have a care partner there at their, at their fingertips. So really just to get the word out that it is available nationwide. Okay. And can you share pricing on that? Are you comfortable with that? Yes, of course. Yeah. So again, if you're enrolled in Medicare Part B, it's covered. If not, it's um, roughly $3 a day, which equates to $91.25 a month. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank which you. I think is a steal. Yeah. Well, yeah. One, it's a steal. <laughs> one call when you're having a, a bad day. <laughs> three bucks. You can call five times a day for three bucks. I mean, yeah. it's great. And we're proud to. I mean, as a nonprofit, we've, we've been, we've tried to uh, be accessible and affordable to everyone at all times. We haven't raised our daycare rates in five fiscal years, which uh, we like to shout from the rooftops because I'll tell you, that's not easy to do. You know, gas prices have gone up, food prices have gone up, uh, rent, electricity, everything's gone up and we've maintained our, our rates. So. Wow. Well, I'm excited that you guys are franchising because I, yeah, I know it's, it's a wonderful it was... concept and just the name change alone that, you know, it's town square first versus the adult day center yeah, I think yeah. there's just so much pushback from people in terms of, you know, I'm not a baby, you know, perceiving it at that, at that level. Yeah, we don't present it to, uh, especially when we give tours um, or talk to, especially in front of the person that does have the cognitive impairment, we never refer to it as a daycare. We usually just call it a, a senior center, activity center. Um, some family members will say to their spouse, you know, oh, it's, it's an activity place, you know, you can go kind of uh, they do they do activities that help with your memory. That seems to go over uh, pretty well. We don't usually call it a daycare. It is, but that's not you know that's not how we present it um, to others. But yeah, Town Square takes that all out of the equation. <laughs> well, yeah, and it just it gives them the way you've set up the rooms, all these different places they can go to. I know there was one in Canada, and they they called theirs a health um, health club, and you know or fitness center type thing, you know, and so. 
and they they're much smaller than what you are, but they set up the designated rooms, and it just had a different mm -hmm. feel to it and look as well with that. So yeah, it's a it's really fun. I mean. I mean, honestly, we have just such great performers come in and we see our participants, uh, we call them participants, not patients. Um, we see them just dancing and laughing and, you know, even if they don't recall exactly what they did when they were there, uh, they leave having had a good day, they leave tired, you know, a good tired, they sleep better. Um, it, it just, it helps to reduce stress, agitation, um, you know, promote better sleep. I mean, it, it's just... Basically, we're trying to bring a little bit of joy into an otherwise really difficult situation. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Maria, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to you next. And um, if you can let us know if you have been personally touched in your circle of friends or family uh, by dementia or COVID-19. COVID-19, thankfully, no. Um, and uh, dementia, I've, I've worked with dementia for many years, but just in uh, recent years, I had an aunt who developed vascular dementia as a long-term consequence of having had an aneurysm when she was younger. Um, so she had that through her 60s and, and, uh, and passed away in her early 70s. But um, other than that, um, fortunately, also um, in my own personal circle, I haven't uh, had to, to deal with dementia. It's more been my own, um, my own clinical interest that's, that, that's brought me here. Okay, great. Well, lucky you that <laughs> you haven't been touched by either. So, so that's good in, in, a, in a big scale. Why don't you tell us how it's affected um, your university work and, and what you're mm -hmm. seeing in the community yep. at large in Australia? Yep, sure. Uh, I just wanted to firstly say, Lisa and David, you're both doing such great things, such exciting things. I'm going to be looking you both up online once, uh, once we get off here. I, I really love the sort of work that you're doing. And it really... Um, I think one of the things that's happened with this whole COVID-19 pandemic is it's really thrown so many things into, into stark relief, you know, so we're sort of both seeing the level of isolation that people um, have been moved into, but have, that have come from, you know, have all, we're, that were already isolated and we're, we're having to come up with all these creative solutions to try to uh, manage that. So I think, on the one hand, we're seeing people in more desperate situations because they are socially isolated. They're not able to access their usual um, supports and also, you know, and uh, all of the um, uh, negative effects of not being able to have contact with people. But we're also seeing so many um, services coming up with um, creative ways to overcome that that I think are, are going to carry through to, um, you know, onward into the future. Uh, um, our national peak body just uh, has started a, uh, for Dementia, Dementia Australia has started a um, social media campaign called, I've got to get it right, um, Isolation But Not Isolated. And um, they're encouraging people to um, post about um, their own, you know, creative solutions to, to overcoming isolation and sort of um, spread that kind of, um, good news and creativity to, to uh, in order to, to help others to, you know, reach out to people with dementia in, in their lives or, you know, either personally or that they work with, which I think is a really, you know, a, a really sort of positive way forward. Uh, in terms of how um, COVID-19, well, it's, it's 
majorly affected my university work. I'm a lecturer in occupational therapy and we, like universities worldwide, with, with uh, very little notice had to suddenly start delivering our all of our courses online. Um, and that's been interesting because even my young people, my students who are used to the online world, I can see now there's, there's after several weeks, you know, um, a couple of months of doing it, they're all starting to unravel with the social isolation of it and not, you know, not being able to come into campus and, and have uh, physical contact with people is starting to wear on them. Um, we're, we're in here in Australia, or most parts of Australia, we're gradually really um, uh, lifting a, a lot of the restrictions, but there's still no on-campus um, study and that's going to go forward um, through to the rest of the year as far as we can see. So I think, you know, if it's affecting the young ones so much, um, the, the effect of the um, isolation on older adults would be even, you know, even more uh, marked because, um, the, you know, if any of you have uh, young adult children, or um, you'll know that they, their world is, a lot of their world is online. They're used to online um, living. Um, so if they're, if they're feeling that, that loss of contact, then um, those parts of our population who aren't used to being online uh, would be feeling it even more so. And as Laurie would know, uh, my, my research work and the, one of my interests over the last few years has been in the area of travel for people with dementia. I've done some, I've been working on some projects trying to facilitate access to travel. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I got uh, a grant, a small grant to do some work looking at, uh, I've been focusing specifically on air travel, but I got a small grant to look at just the travel industry more generally and how we could to, um, facilitate developing um, travel experiences, positive travel experiences in Australia for people with dementia. And uh, we, um, at the beginning of March, the, the contract came through and we had to sort of say, well, I think we're going to have to delay this now because we, could, we were looking at um, a travel industry that is completely ground to a halt and uh, I'm not going to be interested in talking about one sub, sort of subset and also people with dementia who the last thing that they were thinking about is travel at that time because, well, because not just because of the restrictions, but because of the fact that they're a vulnerable population and that they, they were hunkering down themselves. So um, I, I, I'm really not sure how things are going to move in that sphere as we come out of the whole um, pandemic. We may start, you know, we'll, we haven't started seeing travel happening within our own country yet, you know, and certainly international travels way, way down the, the track. So it's, it's going to be a whole, whole new world, I think, in terms of uh, travel and whether people living with dementia are going to be um, ready to sort of dip their toes in that uh, anytime soon. Um, that, uh, you know, I said to someone that I'm sort of having a bit of an exis existential crisis about my whole area of research because it, it's uh, such an unknown at the moment. So, you know, that, that's one area that I'm sort of just keeping, keeping tabs on, I guess. And uh, I guess the other um, thing that I've been watching with interest in Australia is also our whole um, situation in uh, residential care or nursing homes, because I think as in probably just about everywhere else in, around the world, you know, there, um, 
because they're such a vulnerable population, there was a lot of places went into, initially went into complete lockdown. Uh, and I was, I've been so concerned about what was happening inside those homes with the, the people, the um, residents with dementia and were they getting the care that they needed? Because um, there was a, initially by complete lockdown, that meant like no, no outside visitors at all. There were a lot of places that weren't letting in extra, uh, like, you know, con contracted carers or, you know, allied health. They, they weren't letting in anybody outside of their own uh, facility. And uh, that was becoming very distressing for me, just thinking about um, what, you know, how, how life was going for those people. Um, and there's started to be a conversation now about the need for all residents of, uh, in um, nursing homes, but, um, and particularly people with dementia, the need for that social contact. And they just released some national guidelines about um, accepting visitors in, in uh, nursing homes. And it was contributed by, to by a number of bodies and basically taking a human rights approach and sort of saying, well, that um, they need to be allowed access to visitors and um, it's more about, okay, let's talk about how we can make it safe for visitors to come in and, um, and have contact. And if they can't physically come in, um, what are the alternative options? So, you know, talking about things like using, using Zoom or window visits or outdoor visits, if not in, indoor um, visits. So, and we actually, I mean, the situation, people were becoming so concerned about it that our Prime Minister actually uh, sort of basically addressed um, nursing homes and said, look, you know, you need to start thinking about taking visitors again. Um, and uh, so that's kind of where that that national conversation is. But I mean, um, and in amongst that conversation, um, we've had two, we have had two clusters that have been related to um, nursing homes and we've just had another um, there's a, a nursing home that's being watched very carefully in the north of our state because um, a, a visiting staff member was diagnosed with COVID-19 and so they've put into place some you know um, social distancing measures very sort of fairly immediately in that place so there's always there's still always that concern about the vulnerability in, in those settings yeah, well, I think I've talked myself out there. <laughs> have, have they, have they um, addressed anything in terms of funds? Because I was just reading a report, I can't remember if it was one of the McKnight reports or not, and just the headline said, um, one COVID in a nursing home or assisted living um, uh, triples their cost of functioning. You know, in order, and it's like, you know, they're all hanging on by a shoestring as it is. And then to yes. think of these costs being tripled without mm. something in play, yeah. and that seems to be one of the push and pulls here in the yes. States is, you know, they're still fighting to get the PPE and, mm. um, and then they're fighting to get staff and, you know, on top of that. Um, uh, Interestingly, no, there has there's been very little um, conversation about that. And you're right, um, you know, our, our aged care facilities um, have very, you know, they so hanging on by a shoestring, so to speak. And there, there's um, a lot of, you know, mo most places have, have got the bare, not the bare minimum, but there, there's been a lot of conversation in recent years about, you know, uh, staffing levels within within um, aged care and actually where 
in the middle is quite interesting. We're, we've been in the middle um, of a Royal Commission into aged age care at the moment. It's, I don't know quite what's happening to it. It's, I'm presuming it's, it's on hi hiatus. And that's one of the issues that it's, you know, that it's um, been investigating is, you know, the, the, uh, the staffing ratios. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, but uh, there has been very little attention actually paid to to that, you know, funding to aged care and, um, and the, you know, the costs of these extra care requirements. Um, and that's one of the things that was why I, I has um, not, well, kept me awake at night and it, to, a, to a certain extent because um, we also know that, you know, people living with dementia, they require, you know, extra care and what, one of the things that was highlighted was um, that um, often a lot of, uh, you know, there were a lot of volunteers and visitors coming in or family members who were kind of providing that extra care for, for these residents and they weren't able to get that access um, through, the, through the lockdowns. Um, so I, um, I'm just, you know, I'm going to be watching that, this space quite carefully to sort of see how people emerge out of the the whole process um, in, in terms of where, you know, how, are, are these residents with dementia, are they going to, are they, you know, I'm worried that they're absolutely going to deteriorate over this time if they're not getting the extra stimulation and um, and care and attention that, that, that they really require. You had mentioned like with your students that, um, you know, okay, two months is enough, you know, there, it's, it's building up and oh, yeah. back to normal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what we're seeing here in the States is, you know, some memory cares are saying, we're not going to isolate them in their rooms because they're not going to stay because they don't understand. And then others are really trying very hard to do that. And um, so there's all different kinds of approaches, but we, we've had some significant breakouts here in, in many of our care communities. And, you know, what I keep hearing is still there's not enough PPE. Um, we don't have a place to be able to isolate these. We need more funding to be able to take care of this. Uh, Lisa, what have you heard? Because you're, you're in the thick of things in terms of, you know, administration and, and trying to juggle the balls and figure all this stuff out, too, here in the U.S. I was just going to chime in, actually, on the, the wearing of masks that's one of the other things, if this is what you're asking, um, you know, that's one of the other considerations that we have to uh, have to make is can our participants that come of those 25%, can they keep a mask on, right? Mm -hmm. Staff can obviously, but first of all, that can be kind of scary if the person doesn't understand why everyone's walking around with masks in front of them, that's number one. Um, but it's simple to have our, administratively, it's simple to have our staff wear the masks, of course, but to have participants with dementia wear a mask for eight hours, hmm. we're gonna try, we're gonna try. We're going to require that, that's um, on the table, uh, but I, I don't know how that's gonna go. I don't know how it's gonna go. Well, and, and yes, they have, to, that, they have to eat and drink and stuff. During they have to eat and drink, so it'll be off and on, off and on. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. We're just, we're going to have to figure that out. We're going to be as, as safe as we possibly can be. We're going to try to require that, um, how that plays out. We just can't be, can't be sure. Um, you know, if they take it off and they won't put it back on, do we need to ask them to leave? Probably. I, I mean, that's just. It's really hard. I've heard some people say that they would prefer 
the screens, the clear screens, because again, people with dementia rely on facial expressions and nonverbals. Um, I had somebody on from the Netherlands and they said they're doing like big, uh, big photos, like five by six photos at least in size and they're, you know, being pinned to their uniform. So somebody can look at a photo, but again, it's with dementia, is that going to connect to that's who's behind the mask, you know? Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. How I mean, I was talking to a, uh, this is outside of work, but I was talking to a guy the other day, he had a baseball hat, sunglasses, and a mask, right? I mean, if you, if I had to swear on my children's life to, to, to recognize that guy again, I never, I couldn't. I mean, he was completely covered up. So, you know, I mean, not that our staff's going to have sunglasses or a baseball hat, but you get my point. I mean, you, you cover this up and you're right, all that facial expression and smiling and, you know, um, the expression of it's okay, come on, you know, it, it's, it's gone. So um, that, th this is an interesting time. So. Yeah. Well, and, and people without dementia are struggling and, you know, like I've had friends go, I don't yeah. like keeping it on, you know, or, the, or they're in the store and they're smiling towards somebody and then they're like, oh, they don't know I'm smiling. How they they don't, I know. <laughs> you know. And so then they've decided they have to, you know, give them a thumbs up or, yeah. and, you know, add something to. And then it, it, it fogs up your glasses. So if you're a person also with dementia and glasses and it's fogging your glasses, that's going to be um, distressing. So, um, I mean, we're going to do the absolute best that we possibly can to keep everybody safe, but it will be very interesting to see how this goes. Um, I can imagine that other daycare centers around here are going to have to do the same thing. I mean, um, so. It's almost like you need an extension to push your glasses out a little <laughs> bit. About, I know. Have you seen the masks? Have you seen the masks that actually look like your own face? Have you seen those? I haven't seen those. I've seen fake smiles and different things. Yeah, there's the fake stuff, but ones that actually look like you. That's a picture of you, your mouth on a mask. Oh, I haven't seen those. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but everything is bizarre right now, so I don't know. Yeah. Happy me or happy, happy me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, yeah. On that. Maria, what are you seeing over there regarding masks? Oh, uh, well... That's an interesting question because we haven't um, gone to the um, to the universal wearing of masks here. Um, so when we go out in public, we're not required to wear masks, um, and uh, it's mostly in you know in uh, clinical situations where there's that sort of higher risk, and it's mostly um, obviously if someone is is infectious and they're around other people. Um, but it's mostly within, um, you know, the the healthcare professionals who are treating and working with um, uh, within within the healthcare environment that are that are um, using and requiring masks. Um, some people um, do choose to wear masks when they're out in public, so there are some people who do wear them. Um, so I haven't personally experienced wearing a mask yet, and I'm hoping I don't have to but uh yeah so we've we've had um yeah so we've had a slightly different um i guess public health approach to it but having said that we're a much less populous country our population density is uh, much lower even in our major cities so um it's a little bit easier and, and you know and with the lockdowns there's hardly anybody about so it's a little bit easier to 
maintain the social distancing. But what I, I was also going to add in about the whole conversation about masks, you've even just, you know, anyone older who's, who's um, hard of hearing is going to really struggle. So if you're hard of hearing and you've got dementia, and then if the, you've got the foggy glasses, then you know, that's, that's a multitude of sensory um, input that's not coming in that's going to make the whole um, situation quite, quite tricky, I would imagine. And another issue that I thought of in terms of that's that one of the issues that's been of concern in um, the nursing homes as well as well as the whole PPE um, issue is and I, I'm sure it's a similar um, problem in in nursing homes everywhere is that a lot of the staff are casual workers um, so if they don't come into work they don't get paid and they they're low paid anyway and so that's has what has been a big issue is that people have been going to work with symptoms um, and then later discovered to have COVID-19. And that's what started um, the, 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 the fuse um, clusters that we've had within nursing homes has been for that exact reason. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a push and shove battle back and forth, you know, this push mm. and pull. And we keep learning more things about different types of symptoms and things too, which mm. makes it much, much more complicated. Well, I want to respect everybody's um, time here. I think this has been a really interesting conversation. So I'm just going to go to each one of you and ask if you have anything else that you'd like to add. Dave, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. Thanks, Lori. Uh, yeah, go, I'll touch back on something that, uh, that we talked about earlier, and that is uh, the nature of um, uh, virtual connections as we go forward. You know, there's, there's, we had some discussion about many people are just not familiar with the, with the, the technology, and that's fair. But if you think about a, a longer time horizon, you know, uh, maybe decades, younger people who grew up with technology, uh, some call them digital natives, they will become more familiar with this technology. It seems like every year, uh, us oldsters are, are uh, getting more familiar with it too. So I think, I think the, the virtualization of the connections will hopefully get better over time, uh, although it's a difficult situation right now. Okay, great. And then for people to get a hold of you, contact information would you like them to have, Dave? Simplememorycafedirectory.com is the website. Uh, info, like information, info at memorycafedirectory.com is the email. And, uh, and I've out there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So feel free to reach out any way you like. Wonderful. And then again, for those of you interested in the memory cafes, they are, there are some that are virtual. You go to the Cafe Connect area on the Memory Cafe directory site, and you know you can attend those no matter where you live uh, in the world, which is please, wonderful. Please do. And, and if you operate a memory cafe, and, and certainly if it's a virtual one, Submit it. I would love to get it loaded up. Uh, there's no no charge to uh, use the directory. And uh, shameless plug: watch June 1st for the new calendar format on Cafe Connect. It'll be a lot easier to use. Wonderful. Thank you. And um, Lisa, anything else that you would like to add? Also, sort of follow on the the uh, footsteps of of Dave here. I mean, um, seeking out virtual help. I mean. Thank goodness we have it, right? Thank goodness we have it. So if daycare centers are closed or in-person support groups, uh, uh, seek out the virtual um, support. That's, that's what I would say to caregivers because it is out there and don't be intimidated by it because 
um, you're right. I mean, young people can do this in their sleep. But um, one thing that has happened that I've noticed is a lot of our families at first, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not taking blood pressure. I'm not entering it into a smartphone. I don't even have a smartphone, you know. Um, but now, I mean, we walk them through it and now they're great with it. So that's kind of kind of a silver lining. Um, but for me, you know, for my shameless plug would be, um, uh, you know, if you do need help at home and, and you, um, you're caring for someone with dementia, please, you know, give us a call to learn more about, about Glenercare. It's covered by Medicare Part B. If you aren't enrolled in Medicare Part B, it's very, very reasonably priced and you can have just help, peace of mind, support at your fingertips, um, even though other things in public are closed. It's there for you and it's, it's operating right now. So email would be glennercare at glenner.org and glenner has uh -huh. two ends in it. Um, uh -huh. And then the website, of course, is glenner.org. Glenner.org and then you can see all our services and you would just uh, drop down to the glennercare page. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Appreciate your time. And um, Maria, how about you? Anything else that you want to add to the conversation? I just wanted to say that I think it's really exciting the innovations that we've all been making online um, in response to this pandemic. I think it's pushed people to to really become creative and I hope that a lot of those innovations will continue. But I'd also really hope that we, we don't lose sight of the importance of face-to-face -face contact and human touch um, in amongst all of that, that we, you know, that we, don't um, give up on um, the um, importance of those those areas um, for any age because you know I, I don't want um, my students to have to stay online that's for sure and I don't want um, older people and um, people living with dementia to to lose that that um, essential um, part of their lives. I think that's a great point. I mean, even my, I have a granddaughter who's five and she's not going to her preschool right now. And her mom's kind of going back and forth of, you know, cause they're paying to hold her spot, but they're not sending her cause she has, uh, she happens to have asthma really bad. And she's like, you know, she really wants to go back. She wants to graduate with her class. And, you know, we've had these deep conversations on, you know, can they do a Zoom? But I don't think they really want to do a Zoom because then maybe more people might pull out and stuff. But it's, you know, she misses her little, her little friends. So everybody at every age, this is um, affecting. And then we have to figure out different ways, you know, to, to make that, to still meet that need. And, um, you know, like you said, there are a lot of creative things that are, that are happening out there that are really very, very cool. And I think they're just going to keep coming. And all these virtual and social distancing things are great. But I, I have heard from so many people, I just want to hug a friend, you know, or I want to hold somebody's hand. Or I just want to sit next to them and just kind of be able to breathe in and go, ah, we're back to normal, you know, have some sense of normality and feel feel safe and in control and it's thrown us all for a loop um, but I think I, I think through tough times good things good things do come and and we will find them and I think it's really pushing that envelope of um, creativity to the forefront as well which I think is so badly needed that we don't all get kind of stuck in the mud doing the same things the same way as we've always done because everything can always 
always be improved. So Maria, are you comfortable giving email address? Yes, certainly. Um, I re- realized that when I introduced myself, I didn't let everyone know where I actually work, which is at CQ University in Australia. And um, so my email address is m.oreilly, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, at cqu.edu.au. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for your time and your commitment to improving the lives of people dealing with dementia, um, those that serve, those that are diagnosed, and those that are supporting. Um, you're all really making a great difference. And, and I'm so thankful that you were willing to share what you're doing because I think that's the way we empower people is to just have honest conversations of the good, the bad, and the ugly, what's working and what's not. And um, I think it's inspiring for people to be able to hear voices around the world. So in wrapping up, I just want to thank all of our panelists, as well as our listeners here. Uh, I hope you found this uh, a, a valuable conversation. I know that I surely did. And please feel free to like, click, and share. And if you have any questions, you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.